0: Again tonight, I want to speak from Amos the sixth chapter. I had planned to bring another in the series from Revelation, but I didn't finish this morning so I want to talk some more about this passage in Amos chapter six. I want to read part of this chapter, Amos chapter six. I hope you'll have your Bibles open. Amos the sixth chapter, woe to them that are at ease in Zion, who trust in the mountain of Samaria, who are named chief of the nations to whom the house of Israel came, pass unto Chalna, and see. <clears throat> From there go to Hamath the great, then go down to Gath to the Philistines. Are they better than these kingdoms, or their borders greater than your border, ye you that put far away the evil day, and cause the seed of violence to come near? In other words, you that think that the evil day isn't going to come, it's way off somewhere in the distance, it couldn't possibly happen to us that lie upon beds of ivory and stretch themselves upon their couches and eat the lambs out of the flock and the calves out of the midst of the stall. that chant to the sound of the harp and invent to themselves instruments of music like David, that drink wine and bowls and anoint themselves with the chief anointments. But they are not grieved for the affliction of Joseph. Therefore now shall they go captive with the first that go captive, and the banquet of them that stretch themselves shall be removed. The Lord God hath sworn by Himself, saith the Lord, the Lord God of hosts, I abhor the excellency of Jacob, and hate his palaces. Therefore will I deliver up the city with all that is in it. It shall come to pass, if there remain ten men in one house, that they shall die. A man's uncle shall take hold of him. He that burneth him to bring out the bones out of the house, and shall say, unto him that is inside the house, is there yet anyone else with thee? He shall say, No. Then shall he say, Hold thy tongue, for we may not make mention of the name of the Lord. For behold, the Lord commandeth, He will smite the great house with breeches, and the little house with clefts. Shall horses run upon the rock, Will one plow there with oxen? For ye have turned justice into gall, the fruit of righteousness into hemlock. Ye who rejoice in the thing of nothing, who say, Have we not taken to us horns by our own strength? But behold, I will raise up against you a nation, O house of Israel, saith the Lord, the God of hosts. They shall afflict you from the entrance of Hamath unto the river of the Arabah. Happiness has always been a phantom ship when thought of as consisting of material possessions. Prosperity does not always result in happiness, but often in oppression and injustice. So it was with Israel in the time of Amos. The leaders were at ease in Zion. Life had become one big party to which only their peers were invited. The problem was not that the rich were enjoying life. That was not the point. They were at ease, eating, drinking, making merry, failing to read the signs of the times, getting richer at the expense of the poor, while the poor were getting poorer. They were guilty of mistaken security, woe to them that are at ease in Zion. They were guilty of negligent thoughtlessness. Pass unto Kalna and see, and from there go to Hamath and great, go down to Gath of the Philistines. Are they better than these kingdoms? Are their borders greater than your border? ye that put far away the evil day? They failed to read the signs of the times. They were guilty, thirdly, of heartless indifference, extravagant furniture. Extravagant food, extravagant songs, extravagant drinking, extravagant attention to the body. And verse 6 reminds us, but they were not grieved for the affliction of Joseph. Joseph, the affliction of Joseph is a phrase that appears from time to time in the Scripture that is similar to the phrase that refers to the time of Jacob's trouble. This looks forward to the awful time of tribulation when the Jews... Will once again be attacked by the enemies of God, and the Jews will be treated like they were treated by Eichmann and Hitler during World War II in Germany. You say that can never happen again. Oh, yes, it can, and it will. It will, according to the scripture. Awful time is coming when the nations of the world encompass, encompass themselves round about Jerusalem, and the Jews will be terrorized and tyrannized like they've never been. And that's when the Lord Jesus will come from glory. And He will put His feet on the rock on the Mount of Olives, and the Mount of Olives shall cleft in the midst, and there will be a great cleft, and the Jews shall run and flee into the valley, a valley called the Valley of Hope. All of that we read in Ezekiel and Isaiah and the other prophets. It's coming yet. And Amos says they were not, they didn't care concerning the trouble of Jacob or the trouble of Joseph. And what was about to happen was just a foretaste of that which would later happen. And so God promised captivity in verses 8 to 14. The anguish of the siege, the Lord swore by His own character concerning this, and the fall of the proud in verses 12 to 14. And in thirty years, thirty years, like the time from 1900 to 1930, or the time from 1930 to 1960, thirty years. After Amos preached this message, the Assyrian hordes came down out of the desert and swept down upon Samaria and Israel and led the people of God into captivity. In Amos chapter 4, hear this word, ye cows of Bashan that are in the mountains of Samaria, who oppress the poor, who crush the needy, who say to their masters, Bring and let us drink." The Lord God hath sworn by His holiness that, lo, the day shall come upon you, that He will take you away with hooks and your posterity with fishhooks, and ye shall go out at the breeches, every cow at that which was before her, and ye shall cast them into the palace, saith the Lord. Come to Bethel and transgress, at Gilgal multiply transgressions. Bring your sacrifices every morning, your tithes every three years, and offer a sacrifice of thanksgiving with leaven and proclaim and publish the free offerings. For so ye love to do, O ye children of Israel, saith the Lord." But it didn't do any good. Do you know who he means? In your Bible it says ye, verse, chapter 4, verse 1, hear this word, ye kind of Bashan. That word kind is, is a translation from the Hebrew word which means fat cows. He's not talking about steers, he's talking about cows. And he's not talking about the kind of cows that pasture out in the farm. He's talking about women. He says, you women who have caused the men, your masters, to sin. He said, there's coming a time when I'll put hooks in your nose and lead you away in captivity. And secular history tells us that's exactly what happened When Israel went into captivity in the year 722 B.C., the Assyrian hordes in their ruthlessness came with hooks and put hooks in the noses of the women and led them out across the desert into captivity. And those ten northern tribes were never heard of again. Major Alexander B. DeServinsky of the staff of the United States Air University said, America stands again at the crossroads What we do now will decide whether slavery or freedom will permeate the world in the not-too-distant future. Today in our nation are all the evils that made glorious ancient Babylon the animal prowling jungle, all the sinister sins that made Nineveh a skeleton, all her splendor gone, all the malignancy that made Rome fall to the northern barbarians, all the godlessness that made ancient Greece a crust in history's garbage can, All the hardness of wealthy Egypt that made that nation a shabby sexton of splendid tombs. As we think of this theme, woe unto them that are at ease in Zion, as we stand on this Sunday prior to the election, probably one of the most important elections America has ever faced, I'd like for us to think tonight of the sins catalogued. The FBI reports. People spend eight times more hours at movies than in Sunday school. Only one in every 12 persons in the United States attends church. Seventeen million attend. 170 million do not attend. Nine out of 10 children quit Sunday school before they're 15. They're more barmaids than college girls. 100,000 girls disappear every year into white slavery as men and women throw away the wealth of purity and sanctity. There are three times as many criminals as college students. There's an average of 10 suicides in the United States of America every day, and most of them are between the ages of 14 and 19. Alcoholism has become a serious national problem. The cost of crime has doubled, the cost of criminal acts mounted, operation of the courts, the maintenance of the jails, the maintenance of the mental institutions, the destruction of human skills, the frightening toll in home life, the terrible toll of the highway. And then the fathers of this city want to vote in more liquor license, more beer license, as if we didn't have enough already. It's been my observation that you can get anywhere in Bowling Green in ten minutes. If that's true, and I don't know of very many places when the traffic is not heavy that you can't get in 10 minutes in this city. If that's true, I'm sure that nobody in Bowling Green lives more than five minutes from a beer outlet. Now, brethren, we didn't need more, 20 more beer license. What we need is to get some people to stand on their haunches and go and vote this liquor out. You see, when we're at ease in Zion and we think that we'll just coexist with evil, coexist with atheism, coexist with communism, then we're out of the will of God. You can't coexist with a rattlesnake in your bed. You try it and the rattlesnake isn't going to come out on the losing end. Can we read the signs of the times, or are we so at ease in Zion that we're undiscerning? Secondly, let's see the symptoms counted. Look at world communism tonight. Woe to them that are at ease in Zion. You see, what we face in the next few days is a decision of whether or not we're going to take strong stands in coexistence with evil or whether we're going to say, by the grace of God, we're going to build a strong nation under God. Strong in morals, strong in convictions, strong in defense, strong in strategy. World communism was born in 1903 with 17 supporters. Now communism controls 900 million people an increase of 2 million percent in a generation. To achieve this, communism launched the bloodiest attack on Christianity in the history of the world. Churches were burned or turned into amusement centers or museums. Pastors were killed by the thousands or placed in concentration camps and not allowed to talk about Jesus. Christians were sliced to pieces bit by bit. Branded with hot irons, their eyes plucked out. Some of them were placed in boxes with hands and feet and head out of the box. And hungry rats were put in the boxes to feed so that there was no way to fight the rats off and the rats ate the Christians. Pregnant Christian women were chained to trees and their unborn babies were cut out of them. Many Christians were forced to dig their own graves. Then they were slowly buried alive. Today we're asleep to this tyrant of communism. While we pretend to be against it, we sign agreements with it, we sign treaties with it, we trade with it, and we call people warmongers who try to take a stand against it. Atheism in the United States is on the upswing. Revolts and revolutions flame almost everywhere. We live in a night of total Crisis. One nation ruled God cannot be mentioned in the classroom. One school librarian instructed to examine the books and remove all the books that mentioned God. The Board of Education, Hyde Park, Long Island, New York, has condemned the Ten Commandments as undesirable instructional material. They did the same thing in New Jersey. Superintendent of Pollock of New Jersey has sent out a directive that no more Christian hymns may be sung at Christmas in the school. You can sing about Santa Claus. You can sing about Jingle Bells. But you can't sing about Jesus. That's America. That's not Russia. That's not Peking. That's not Vietnam. That's the United States. But the symptoms that should cause the most pain are the symptoms of sin and indifference and lethargy and complacency in the Lord's church. We sing, in the cross of Christ I glory, but we never bother to shoulder a cross. We sing, my Jesus, I love thee, I know thou art mine. For thee all the follies of sin I resign. But what follies of sin have we resigned? We say to the preachers who preach against sin, you're just an old fogey. We say to our parents who say you ought to be in at a certain hour, you're just an old fogey. You don't understand the now generation, mom and dad. I love to tell the story of unseen things above, but we never go out and tell anybody about anybody, about anything. Irreverence toward God is on the upswing. A few years ago they had a song, Have You Talked to the Man Upstairs? Well, I want to tell you, The Lord God is more than the man upstairs. He is the sovereign of this universe. He's not some little doll that sits up in the heavens and you say, have you talked to the man upstairs? I'm not impugning the motives of those who use that song, but I am saying that that song is just a commentary on the low understanding we have of the Lord God omnipotent who reigns forever and ever. Somebody was visiting Korea some time ago, an entertainer. I'll not name the entertainer. And that entertainer said, there are five of us along, and good old God is here too. And Jane Russell said, I really love God. When you get to know Him, you find He's a living dog. Oliver G. Wilson in The Wesleyan Methodist cites one of our principal reasons for slowness in evangelizing the lost world. Sleepy lukewarmness is more dangerous to the cause of Christ than outright opposition. It is the sin of the age. Men sleep about the altars of the church, languidly going through the notions and motions of devotion, and remain unmoved by the cry for help coming from the four corners of the globe. A pastor wrote another pastor a letter asking him for a dedication service for pew cushions. They were going to install pew cushions in their church. And so he wrote asking, can you give us a dedication service? Here's part of the answer. My first suggestion is to tell the inquiring pastor to anoint the new cushions with holy oil and throw them out the windows. During the throwout service, preach a rousing sermon on endure hardness as a good soldier. Point out that the soldiers' bunks have been notoriously lacking in upholstery ever since the days of Sennacherib and Ramses II. A form of dedication for cushions has come down from the early church. Cushions were not a problem. In the first church, there was, of course, the church in my house. They probably sat on the kitchen table or the workbench nor were cushions a problem in the Puritan churches. Or a final suggestion, dedicate the pew cushions by pushing needles in them. That might help, uh, help people, at least temporarily, to stay awake. It would halt the disease, the malignant disease of being at ease in Zion. It would help folks to stay awake. Some genius has figured out by differential calculus that the amount of energy wasted by people trying to keep awake at public meetings would turn all the dynamos in the country needles and burrs in the church pew cushions might turn that energy into constructive channels. Or the pastor might try this, dedicate the people instead of the cushions. Are we just comfortable Christians? Woe to them that are at ease in Zion. That's what Amos said 30 years before Israel went into captivity. In Ezekiel 33, we're reminded that we're to be watchmen of the house of Israel. We're to be watchmen to the house of the world. And one day, those we do not warn will appear, and we will have bloody hands. They will die in their iniquities and their sins, but their blood will be required at our hands. In Amos 6.6, 6, that drink wine in bowls, and anoint themselves with the chief ointments, but they are not grieved for the affliction of Joseph. Listen to this, these statistics. From the year of creation, whatever year that was, to the year 1850, 1850, the world population Arrived at 1 billion people. From 1850 to 1930, 2 billion people. From 1930 to 1960, 3 billion people. From 1960 to 1965, 3.5 billion people. From 1965 to 1980, 4 billion people. From 1980 to the year 2000, the world population will expand to 7 billion people. And if the Lord tarries, The statisticians tell us that from the year 2000 to the year 2050, there will be 22 billions of people. We are going pagan at a rate of 55 million people a year. When I started preaching at Glendale, the world population was 35% Christians, professing Christians. Today, the percentage of Christians in the world is 24%. W.A. Criswell said, some time ago, that unless the New Testament church finds some way to change our methods and get the Word of God into the hearts of the people of the world, by the year 2000, if the Lord tarries, there will be fewer than 2% of the world population who know Jesus Christ as Savior. Woe to them that are at ease in Zion. Now why am I saying all of this, and what is this to do with election day, and what is this to do with America, what is this to do with my life, with your life? Here's what it has to do. I want us to be thankful tonight that we're free, that we have the liberty to come and go, that this church is not boarded up, it's not a museum, that we have the privilege of having a service here anytime we want. That we have the privilege of going out and knocking on people's doors and talking to them about Jesus Christ. I don't know how long those doors will be open, but they're open right now. That we have the privilege of taking the gospel to the nations beyond, the regions beyond. Shame on us for not being more dynamic in our mission endeavor. Thank God for a band who year after year have gone to South Texas saying we don't only want to send our money, Through missions and through cooperative program and through direct missions, but we want to send ourselves. And so they get on a bus, paying their own way. They go down there, talk to people about Jesus. Thank God for a band who have gone down into Mexico last year, 800 miles below the Mexican border, to talk to people about Jesus. Thank God for a missionary couple from our church who went over to Japan and are pouring their lives out for service to Christ there. Thank God for Joe Young who has gone to Liberia and is preaching the Word of God there. Thank God for Wanda Carpenter, and on and on we could go, talking of people who once sat here and have now received the chalice, the challenge, the torch, and have gone out with a glorious gospel. Shame on us for not sending more. Shame on us for not giving more of our tithes and offerings while we still have time for a whole world to hear. I pray, I pray that the time will come when this church can support our own missionaries that go out and stand behind them. Thank God we have adopted the missionary couple Tack and Lana-Oi, and every week, month, we send to the mission board the money that helps to support and keep them there. Thank God for that but we're just a little pipsqueak. Do you know that they'd stay there and they'd be there even if we didn't do it? But thank God we have the opportunity to get in on something like that. God help us to get in on it more. And I pray that when they come back to America for just a little bit of time next summer, Just about six months, four or five months, they want so much to have their children in a Christian school. I would to God that God would raise up funds here so we could have them in Bowling Green and provide missionary housing for them. And anybody that's against that, that would be opposed to a thing like that, doesn't understand the signs of the times in which we live, when we must give and sacrifice to help our missionaries but not only those missionaries that go across the seas, but missionaries right here in the city of Green. Did you know that while the days are open, while the opportunity is open, while the hours are open, while the doors are open, we can send our buses across the city. There's some places you can't do that. You can't do that in Russia or China. You can't do that in Cuba. You can't do that in Albania. You cannot do that in Romania. You cannot do that in Poland. You cannot do that in Hungary. You cannot do that in those nations that have already voted in communism, but we can still do it in America if we're willing to pay the bill. Did you know that during the month of October it cost 25 cents per child for us to bring the children and the folks in on those buses, bring them here, 25 cents per child. Can you think of any way you could better invest a quarter? than to bring a child to Jesus and get them under the sound of the gospel. God help us to wake up. Wake up and quit being little and tiny in our outlook of world outreach. Woe to them that are at ease in Zion. Woe to them that are at ease in Zion. Woe to them. And do you know what that woe means? Three times in the book of Revelation, chapter 8, woe, woe, woe to the inhabitants of the earth. And you read chapters 9, 10, and 11. We'll find out what woe means on subsequent Sunday nights. Woe is a terrible degradation. And God says, woe to them that are at ease in Zion. And I want to tell you, if we do not go to the polls and cast ballots that stand for things that are righteous and moral and true, then woe to America and we'll get what we deserve. We'll get what we deserve. Let me say it again. We'll get what we deserve. When Amos preached this message, you know what the reaction was? Let me tell you what the reaction was. Let me get my glasses so I can see it. In Amos chapter 7, beginning with verse 10, then Amaziah the priest of Bethel sent to Jeroboam king of Israel, saying, Amos hath conspired against thee in the midst of the house of Israel. The land is not able to bear all his words. For thus Amos saith, Jeroboam shall die by the sword, and Israel shall surely be led captive out of their own land. Also Amaziah said unto Amos, O thou seer, go, flee away into the land of Judah, and there eat bread, and t- prophesy there, but prophesy not again any more at Bethel, for it is the king's sanctuary, it is the king's court. Do you know what he was saying? Amaziah was the priest. He was the religious leader of his day. And he said, Amos, you can't preach like that here. You don't understand. We are a religious people. We are a good people. You can't preach like that to us. Now you go back down to the hillbilly country and you can preach like that down in Judah, but you can't preach like that here. Get out, get out. And So they told Amos to get out of Israel. And before he got out, he said, All right, repent or prepare to meet your God. A year went by. Five years went by. Ten years went by. Fifteen years went by, twenty years went by, twenty-five years, boy, that old silly Amos, he used to preach here in this city and warn us that we needed to repent or perish. (laughs) Isn't he funny? And then one day the Assyrian hordes surrounded Samaria, and those Assyrian hordes pressed down upon the nation, and they came in with their hooks, and they lined all the women up and put hooks in their nose and led them out across the deserts. They killed the men and they took them, some of them, into captivity. And the ten northern tribes of Israel to whom Amos preached the message that I'm preaching to you tonight, 30 years after he preached it, they went into captivity and they've never been heard of since. Now, ladies and gentlemen, it is later than you think. And God has placed on my heart and on the hearts of many, many Bible believers across this nation that this is a crucial, crucial time that calls for prayer, that calls for commitment, that calls for dedication, that calls for sacrifice, that calls for a stand in such times as we live. And if we do not do it, there's a terrible price to bear. And so again, God would say to us, repent or perish. But thank God there's hope. There's hope. For I'm not here tonight to just deliver a message that says we ought to save America. I want to tell you, I think America's worth fighting for. I'm not part of the card burners. I never have been. In the 1960s, any of you were here, you know that I preached against that. I preached against those people who come along wearing big signs and placards saying, peace, peace, when there is no peace. But at the same time, God can get along without America. God can get along without America. The church of Jesus Christ is never going to be stamped out. But the free, open door that we understand and have now may not live, may not last long, if we do not take advantage of the liberties we have, if we do not stand on the convictions that God has given us to stand on. Oh, God, start a revival in our hearts. A revival that would cause us to wail over our sins. would get down in sackcloth and ashes and say, God, cleanse us and forgive us. And forgive us for having the kind of attitude that would be chintzy and little. Forgive me for stealing the tithe from you. Forgive me for stealing the glory from you. Forgive me for being less than what you want me to be in my spiritual life, in my moral life, in my Bible life, in my prayer life, in my soul winning life, in all the things that God has placed on my heart to do. Repent or perish? Which shall it be? Repent. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven, forgive their sin, and heal their land. I'm going to say two or three more things, and I'll be through. We need to arm ourselves with what issues are today, what the issues are, and find some man that stands for those issues and secure him. I just want to ask you something. If this church were without a pastor, you were seeking a pastor, and so you talked to the man and you said, "Now I want to know what you believe about the Bible." Well, he'd say, uh, "Doesn't really make any difference what I believe about the Bible. I get up and preach every Sunday." Uh, what do you believe about uh, this sin, this sin, this sin? What do you believe about the morals and so on? He'd say, well, that really doesn't make any difference. You know, I, I'm against them, but I wouldn't think of saying anything out loud again about them because uh, I wouldn't want to alienate anybody. I'm, I want to be pastor of everybody. I don't want to hurt anybody's sin. There might be somebody that sells liquor back here in my congregation, so I wouldn't want to say anything against that. Might be somebody over here that drinks the liquor, so I wouldn't want to say anything against that. Might be somebody goes to the horse races, so I wouldn't want to say anything against that. Might be somebody over here that does this and that and the other, so I wouldn't want to say anything against that. Would you want that kind of man as your pastor? Then make the application. Stand for somebody who will stand for something. If we've got anybody like that, find out. try to cast a ballot for somebody that stands for something in a time when there's so much wishy-washiness. But the greatest ballot that will ever be cast is the ballot for Jesus Christ in our lives. You can elect all the presidents you want to, and all the senators, and all the Board of Education people, and all the congressmen, everybody else. But unless we elect Jesus, King of our life, and we allow Christ to be Lord, then all this is just a mirage in the desert because it will not endure. But if you and I, called by His name, the name of Jesus, humble ourselves before Him and take our stand at the cross and pay the price in prayer, then regardless of the winds that blow on the outside, Christ will take care. Oh, I'll plead with you tonight. If you're not saved, come to Jesus. Come to the mercy seat. There's forgiveness there. There's cleansing there. There's joy there. There's peace there. Come to Jesus. And if you are on the verge of coming, let not conscience make you linger, nor a fitness fondly dream. All the fitness God requires is that you feel your need of Him. If you're right on the verge of stepping over to Jesus, Let me urge you tonight with all the grace and faith of your heart to just step over and say, I come, Lord, I come, I come. Come with your sins, come with your sorrow, come with your heartache, come with your hurts, but come, and he that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. Will you come to him tonight? Let's bow together in prayer. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Our Heavenly Father, we thank Thee for the privilege of prayer. We pray tonight that the Holy Spirit of God will speak to every heart, and those who have never been saved will come to Jesus. And those who are God's children will take an open stand for the Lord. Have Thine own way, Father, in Jesus' name, amen. Will you stand, please, as we sing? tonight, God's invitation. Let me encourage you to come to Jesus just as you are, without one plea, but that his blood was shed for thee, Lamb of God, I come. Will you come to him now? God help you to do that. Somebody may say, well, you know, I, I, I want to. I've just waited. Don't wait any longer. There could come a time when the last You'll delay too long, you won't have an opportunity again. Come to him tonight. It may mean you need to come, maybe you've been saved but have not made it public, you ought to come, step out be the first to come tonight. Maybe you've been right on the fence and you've, you've thought, well I ought to come, I ought to give my heart to Jesus, but you've waited, you've delayed, I urge you to come tonight. Maybe you remember some other church and God wants you here at this church, you come, While we begin to sing, who will step out first for the King, Christ Jesus, will you come right now?